0: Hey, again, glad you're with us today. If I could do us a favor, I would like it to. I just want to take a, a. Oh, I want to take a couple moments and lose my notes as they're sliding off my paper. Thank you. Um, I want to pray for us because the subject we're going to talk about today uh, is a subject that, if you allow it to, can ruin your life. It's also a subject that, if you allow it to, can be a resource that will take your life to places you would never dreamed of. And I just I would hate for for, for you to miss out on what God has to say because we get so wrapped up in the busyness of, of trying to get through church sometimes and trying to think about what we're going to do next. And so I'm just going to pray that God would start to settle your spirit, start to settle your heart and allow you to, for a moment, find a rest that lets him speak to you, right? I'll, the Bible calls God our rest at times. And, and a lot of times what we discover is that rest is not always just the act of sleeping, right? Right? Sometimes we need that. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is take a nap. But sometimes we just need to be able to center our spirit around what God has to say. So what if we just take a few moments this morning and do that? God, we acknowledge that you are in this place. And that you desire to set people free. And that you desire to help us to find freedom in every aspect of our life. You desire to to give us freedom, especially I think in this subject today. And it's a subject that if we allow it to will trip us up and cause us to stumble for the rest of our life. But if 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 you can if we can lean in and discover these principles today, then you can truly set us free to change the world. So thank you. We pray that that we wouldn't miss what you had to say today. Speak to us loudly. Give us the courage to respond accordingly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So throughout all of history, little pieces of paper and even littler pieces of metal have been the subject of much of people's struggle. Wars have been waged over little pieces of paper and littler pieces of metal Marriages have been broken, kingdoms ruined, kingdoms built, futures destroyed, the world taken all over little pieces of paper and leaving littler pieces of metal. And of course, what we're talking about is money. So much of the world's struggles and ambitions and goals all revolve around these little bitty. Pieces of paper and even smaller pieces of metal. This little piece of paper, for a lot of us, is our motivation to get up in the morning and do our job and to work hard. And we think that the more of these little pieces of paper that we can find or earn or be given, the happier we'll be. But if you think of it, really, if you want to think of it from an objective Point of view, and, and sometimes I think God just kind of laughs at us about how this is literally just pieces of a tree, right? Money is nothing more than what used to be a tree, it was cut down, cut into very, very small, thin pieces, put together with other pieces, put some dye on top of it and ink made to be with a lion or depending on what your bank is and currency, a different design and then we decide that this is worth something, Right? Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's still just a piece of paper. But what makes money the source of all this is because it represents value, right? I mean, this again, in and of itself, these are just pieces of paper and pieces of metal. But the reason they're of any concern to us of it all is that in our culture, in the world we've lived in, we've established that these pieces of metal and paper will function as value or currency. And so money is significant for us simply because we exchange it for what we value, right? If you you value food and growth, therefore you exchange these pieces of paper for the n one set at Fairwood downstairs, right? You value you nutrition so therefore you exchange the currency for some some greens or some lettuce at the grocery store or you value electricity therefore you exchange it with the electric company sometimes we value a lot of things we value maybe we value entertainment maybe sometimes too much so we exchange these pieces of paper for netflix subscriptions for concerts for for whatever whatever it is but we, we value something, therefore we exchange these pieces of paper and this, this currency to get it. Some, for some of you, you value the ministries of this church. So you give of the resources and the finances you have so that these ministries can be funded, right? We value these things. And, and ultimately... I think what, what God has done, God, I believe God has allowed money and currency to be used in the way it, uh, it is today as really a means for a spiritual barometer to us. Some people believe that, that finances and money are only here to trip us up and to cause us to stumble and cause us to fail and get into debt. And it's just a, a, a tool that Satan uses to trip us up. And I think if that's the perspective that you have on money, it's going to be a very tough road for you. It's going to be an uphill battle for you. So I hope what we can do today is almost just change how you view money. Change how you operate and see currency. Change how you deal with money in your life. Because unless you decide to become a hermit and live on some isolated island you're all going to live and interact with money around you. And how we deal with it says a lot about our spiritual condition. But I think God has placed money in our life, placed money in our world, placed currency in our world as a means of sometimes just being a a barometer of our spiritual condition. Right? I've said it before. I've said it all the time. If you ever wonder where you are spiritually, you can go to two places. You can see where you val- what you value in your life by going to two places. You can look at your Google Calendar, and you can also go to your bank account, right? Because we will always find time, and we will always find money for the things in our life that are important. You will always find time, and you will always find money for the things that you truly value in your world. And so for some of you, you say, you know, I'm just, I'm just too busy to, to be able to peel off for a few days and, and go off on a holiday. Whether or not you're too busy or not is, is one thing. But what, what ultimately it says is, I don't value vacations as much as I do anything else. So therefore, I'm going to put my money, my time towards other things. All right? Some of us, we say, I'm just too busy to go to church. We all have 24 hours in a day, right? All of us have the same 24 hours. It's just how we use those and how we use what we've been given. And so I'm not here today to guilt you into giving to the church. I'm not here today to guilt you into going to church. What I'm simply saying is that you are always going to find time, you are always going to find money in your life for things that are important to you, what you have in value, right? What is your treasure? Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to ask you today, maybe God is, what God is bringing you to is to ask yourself, where's my treasure today? Where are the things in my life that I really value today? See, the things, the pieces of metal and paper that you have in your pocket or your purse right now have the capacity to show you that you value things more than God, which is hazardous, or that you value God more than things which is helpful. And so what we're going to see today, kind of the main thesis, if you will, between t- in, the, in the scripture that we're going to look at today, is that money can either be hazardous or it can be helpful. But how we deal with it ultimately determines how useful it is. Okay? So if you have your Bible or your Bible app or your actual old school Bible text what you do, you get extra church points today, uh, you can open it up to Luke, the book of Luke chapter 12. We're pretty much going to be exclusively in the book of Luke chapter 12 today. We're going to start at verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. And in this little bitty interaction we see with Jesus, I think we can take and learn a lot of things. You know, my job week in and week out, Is to point you to the supreme value of God in Jesus and reveal how the heart moves with its money. And so uh, today that's what we're about to see. We're gonna look at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Okay? So we'll read this and then I'll start to break it down verse by verse, okay? Luke chapter 12, we'll start in verse 13. It says Then someone called from the crowd, teacher. Please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Other translations use the word inheritance. Verse 14, Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. Isn't it kind of scary that God could call you a fool? Right? I know he's probably called me a fool more than once. I just didn't want to hear it. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with god so throughout this through this itty bitty just small passage of scripture we can see that money finances wealth can either be hazardous or helpful i want to talk about maybe the hazardous as we begin this okay so someone approached Jesus in Luke 12, 13 and basically says, Jesus, hey, I'm, a, I'm having this legal dispute with my brother over the inheritance that is, I think is supposed to be due me. So Jesus in this kind of the beginning of this passage is confronted with a choice. And it's a choice, honestly, that a lot of pastors from time to time have. It's will Jesus get down into the nitty-gritty details of this inheritance dispute or not, right? And so... What Jesus does, number one, he teaches me how to be a good, hopefully a good pastor, but he also teaches me how to respond. He teaches you how to respond when people come to you with things like this. Let's see how he responds in verse 14. What does he say in verse 14? Jesus says, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? You See, in other words, is saying my calling is different from what you are asking me to do. I do have something relevant to say to you, but I'm not the one to be drawn into the details of this dispute, right? And then he gives a warning about how hazardous the inheritance is, doesn't he? Look at verse 15. He says this, then he said, beware. If God tells you to beware of anything, you want to know what that translated to means? Beware, okay? (laughs) Heads up, be careful, all right? Beware. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. That's kind of a tough thing to hear in, in 2018, right? Whenever everything we touch in our life has some kind of significance of value, right? We live in such a world today where it's, easy, it's so easy for us to get shoes that we base people's Uh, Social standing, we talked about social status a few weeks ago, you remember that? Uh, 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 Even on just, uh, now I'm a child of the 1980s, therefore I picked shoes first, right? I grew up in the generation where whenever a kid in my school would get a brand new pair of Air Jordans, the first, and maybe they do it still in 2018 actually now, uh, is the first thing we would do every single morning. I remember one particular instance, I was sitting in in my class waiting for for our homeroom to start when I was in grade 6, And all of a sudden, I was talking with my friends probably about very important deep things that 12-year-olds talk about. All of a sudden, one of my friends ran into the room and said, Hey, Kirk Skeels got the white ones. And instantly, every single boy in that class knew exactly what they were talking about. We all stood up, rushed out of the room, ran into Mrs. McNair's room right next door to where Kirk Skeels was sitting in his chair arms behind, fingers crossed behind his head, legs crossed, and an entire group of 12-year-old boys were circling around him just staring and ogling his brand-new white Air Jordans, right? And for about 10 minutes, Kirk Skeels was the most popular kid at Root Elementary School because he got the pair that everybody wanted and nobody could find. But we place value on things like that. Think about it this way. Back in the 1100s, 1200s, 1300s, you couldn't just go to marathon sports and buy a pair of shoes. If you needed a pair of shoes, somebody had to make them. You had to figure out how to make them, which meant you had to kill an animal to get the skin that the shoes were wrapped in. Like, it was such a more arduous process, but because of the convenience that we live in today, it's so much easier for us to show our wealth off, isn't it? It's a little bit too convenient. And so what Jesus is saying, I think Jesus knew how easy it would be for us to get shoes and Air Jordans today. Therefore, he gave not only this man this warning back in the third century. I think his words were to him, and then the story we're about to see are for all of us ultimately, we're all the audience in this interaction, this story, right? And so Jesus is saying, be careful and guard against shoe greed, car greed, phone envy, right? Makeup greed, holiday greed. Be careful against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by what kind of phone you own. Life is not measured by your white Air Jordans, right? Life is not measured by your bespoke suits or your Brooks Brother ties. Let's see what Jesus is going to say our life is measured by. Because if Jesus is going to tell us that's not what it's all about, you know he's going to tell us eventually what it is all about, right? Jesus is never one to make us question so let's, let's continue on. You see, he, what he sees is this man losing his grip on his portion of his inheritance. And he sees him, he sees in him some evidence of that hazard. And so, you know, there's a, there's a different interaction throughout the, the, the books of the gospel. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus refers to this as the deceitfulness of riches. You see, this inheritance that this man was chasing was lying to him. And this is why money can be so hazardous at times. It lies to us. It tries to deceive us. Right? I've often heard it say that money makes a f- terrific servant, but a horrible God. Money makes a terrific servant, but a horrible God. What was this money t- trying to lie to him? What was it saying to this man in this interaction? It was saying a lot. Let me just read to you a few things. It was saying, if you lose me, you lose a very large part of your life. If you lose me, you lose what life can be for you. I am your life. How many of you have ever maybe never... I I hope that this money has never actually talked to you. If so, we have some mental health professionals in our church that would be more than happy to help you. Money doesn't talk, okay, audibly to us. A lot of times, that's what the, the message is, isn't it? That's what the message that money kind of tells us is but in other words basically Jesus is saying in verse 15 here he's saying don't listen to the lie of money don't believe this hype don't buy into greed ultimately what Jesus is telling us to do and what Jesus is telling this man to do is I want you to act contrary to your very nature as a person right Jesus is telling us it's natural for us to be born and have this reflexive tendency to greed, right? Nobody ever has to teach a two-year-old the word mine or no, right? I've never seen a parent teach a two-year-old, no, 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 you're supposed to keep this. This is yours. (laughs) No, because it's in our nature to try to accumulate as many things that are ours as we can, right? Our natural tendency is to gravitate towards every kind of greed. But what Jesus is saying is that if you don't value me and treasure me, you're going to fall into this trap. You're going to fall into this trap, and it's a lie. And so what Jesus is saying is that greed and money is not what your life is. Life is not measured by how much you own. He goes on to define for us in the book of John chapter 17 what life is. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life. That they can know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ and you have sent." You see, life is not having things. Life is knowing God. And so now Jesus is coming to that. That's where you can kind of see where this is moving towards. That's when he starts to tell them, Tell them this parable. Not just telling them. Again, he tells it to us. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And I want to get something out there right now. It is not a bad thing when your land produces plentifully. Okay? It is not a bad thing when your business prospers. It is not a bad thing when you are given a pay raise and a promotion. It is not a bad thing whenever you are taken care of financially in your employment. It's not. Too often, we, we, we tend to maybe think of that, but what I want us to see is that ultimately, this man, a few verses later on, is not called a fool for being a productive farmer. He's not called a fool by God himself because he, is a, he practices proper agricultural practices, right? Let's see why he is called a fool because ultimately we all know God knows this broken world needs productive farmers. This world needs productive businesses, profitable businesses. This world needs those things. But what is, does not need... Are fools, and so why is this man called a fool? I think that this man is called a fool. I'll put it this way: by the way that he used his increase of riches, he gave no indication of being rich towards God. Right? You look at the very end of verse twenty-one. It says to have a a rich relationship with God. Other translations say he was rich toward God, and that's a very interesting terminology phrase, isn't it? Ultimately, the reason why this man was called a fool was because when he was blessed with abundance, the first thing he did was say, How can I use this to benefit me? Right? And it's again, it's our natural instinct. Whenever he had an excess, what did he do? His natural reaction was, well, I've got to build something to just store all this excess in, right? I mean, how many of us, whenever we get to a million dollars in our bank account, our natural reaction is going to be, well, all right, I get to upgrade to HSBC Premier now, right? So that way I don't have to stand in line for 45 minutes every time I go to the bank. I get to go in and they give me a cup of coffee, right? That's our natural reflex. Isn't it amazing to think of this utopian world where banking could actually be convenient to you? Right? But our natural reflexive instinct when we receive more is, okay, what can I do to reward myself? Well, How can I benefit me? And ultimately, that's why he's called a fool. That's why he's called a fool. Is because when God gave him more, and ultimately, where does everything come from? comes from God, right? You think of the psalm that says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who dwell in it. Has anybody ever read that verse in their Bible before? Anybody? Right? And we've done that that, that exercise before where we're reminded that ultimately none of us own a pair of shoes, none of us own a car, none of us own more than two t-shirts. They've all been given to us by God. And so in this case, With this particular successful farmer, his excess wasn't because of him. It was because God gave him excess, right? And so we talk about that last phrase in verse 21 where it talks about that rich relationship with God. You see, this is a prosperous farmer who failed to understand what a rich relationship with God looked like or what rich towards God looked like. And as a result, he's called a fool. He's called a fool. So we could end that right there, and I could just say, you know what, you're supposed to have a rich relationship with God. And how that applies to money, good luck on your own. But I think what God has given us is, I think I would be irresponsible as a pastor if I ended the sermon right there. I will be responsible to your time schedule, but I'll be irresponsible to your spiritual schedule. So, how do you have a rich relationship with God? Right? That's how how Jesus describes it at the very end of this passage, right? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So, how do we get that rich relationship with God? I think it comes down to two points. Okay? These two points are this. Don't feed the greed and stop starving generosity. Don't feed the greed. This is is one of those cases where God's economy is completely contrary to what our natural tendencies are. Ultimately, what God is saying is that And you you get to see this literally played out. Jesus says, in order for us, and I don't have enough time to get into it today, but during your study this week, you can see, he lays out in a few more verses in the passage directly preceding this, after this, what it looks like to not feed the greed in our life. It's kind of just taking life from a manna perspective. Have you ever heard that word manna? Right, Manna was that what? Where's the first time we hear the word manna in scripture? Amen. What's that? It's in the wilderness, right? You think all the way back in the history of Israel, whenever the the nation of Israel is wandering through the desert because they had escaped the, the generations and generations of slavery at the hands of the Egyptian empire, they, they walked, you know, you remember Prince of Egypt, right? You've saw, everybody's seen that Disney movie, right? Moses sticks his stick and his staff in the, in the Red Sea. It splits open. They could see whales swimming, right? You can see the image in your head of the cartoon. And then what Scripture says is they eventually they disobeyed what God had to say, and as a result, they were forced to wander through the desert, through the wilderness for generations For a generation, while that disobedient generation kind of faded away. But God cared for them so much that he still continued to provide for them by giving them a daily supply of nutrition and food called manna. But the rules of manna were simple. Throughout a normal week, all you would do would be to get, basically whenever whenever Israel would fall asleep at night, whenever all 1.2 million people would get in their tents, tell a couple bedtime stories to their kids, and then eventually blow out the candle and go to sleep. And the, sometime between then and whenever the morning would come, God would distribute this manna on the ground. And so what your job was every morning is you would wake up, stretch out, and then get, and start to gather a day's worth of food. You'd get just enough food, just enough manna for that day's food. If you got more than you needed, it would spoil, right? So God forced them to learn how to live for him providing what they need, right? And then the day before the Sabbath, you'd gather up two days' worth because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath according to to Jewish law, and they would always have enough for that day and the next day. But what Jesus is saying is that I want to teach you how to live contrary to your natural tendency to accumulate as much as you can. So how do we do that? How do we fight the greed that is within us naturally? You starve it. You starve it. If I know that greed is a problem for me, but I continue to feed it by accumulating all these things... What am I doing? I'm just making it stronger. I'm giving it fuel. But ultimately, how do you reduce its impact in your life? You starve it. Don't feed the greed. The moment you feel the need to accumulate more things, the moment you feel that envy of that guy who has the iPhone 10 and you only have a 6S, what you should do is figure out how much it costs to get an iPhone 10. And give that away. Starve that greed in your life. Don't feed that greed in your life. That's how we make it weaker. That's how you make something that is strong in your life weak, is that you don't feed it. And if you make that greed weak, you can take all the resources that you had to feed the greed and stop starving the generosity in your life. Because ultimately, Jesus wants us to be known as a generous people. I mean, how many of us wouldn't want to be known as someone who is generous? Right? Generosity is not a negative character trait, is it? Man, I just I don't like hanging out with Tim at all. He just always buys me lunch. Right? I mean, look, he just he just keeps giving me presents. Like, I just ugh, I hate him, right? Nobody's ever said that. Nobody ever gets like n- generosity is not something that is looked upon negatively in the world. It's looked upon with great curiosity, isn't it? It's looked upon as why would you want to do that? It's looked upon as contrary to the way the world acts. And isn't that the way that Jesus has asked us to live contrary to how the world acts? And isn't generosity kind of the simplest, tangible way that you can love the people around you? I mean, let me ask you this. When I walk through Wan Chai, or when I walk from the train in Kowloon Tong to Festival Walk, and there's always one or two or three people on the side of the road or on the side of the sidewalk who are begging, What's a way that I can t- the simplest way that I can tangibly love that person like Jesus has asked me to do? Isn't it just to give what I have to them? Isn't it? I mean, we are called to share the gospel, right? That's the job of the Christian. That's the job of the follower of Christ. Does anybody know what the word gospel means? It doesn't, By the way, it doesn't mean spiritual laws. What does the word gospel mean? It means good news. Sam, let me ask you a question, all right? I'm totally going to set you up, and I hope you... you I'm going to tee you up, and I hope you hit a home run, okay? <laughs> say Sam is a beggar. Sam's down on his luck. And Sam has tried everything he can to make a living for himself. And ultimately, he's just had to, at the end of the day, swallow his pride and sit on the side of the road and say, I just i am going to have to ask total strangers for money. All of his pride, all of his self respect is gone. If I come up and I give you this $50 bill, is that good news? Isn't that good news, folks? That's two rice boxes, right? I mean, you don't get to go eat at Wolfgang Puck's place, but it's, it's ultimately, he's now able to provide for his wife. He's now able to sustain his life. All right, the offering box is in the back. I'll see that after church is over. I've, r- <laughs> I've written down the, uh, the, the identification number on it, so I'll be able to identify. It. No, um, the point is that that's good news. And so in order for me to have a life that is rich in my relationship with God, rich toward God, it's got to be contrary to how the rest of this world operates, how I, by my own default nature, operate. It means instead of me spending $50 on myself in this particular instance, it's starving that greed... And feeding that generosity. And when you start with $50, it makes 500 a little easier. But ultimately, in order for us to be generous, we've got to start with obedience. Right? You can't be generous without being obedient. And as you start to see, as you read through the rest of this passage, the next particular interaction that Jesus has in Luke chapter 12 this week, that's your homework, by the way, because he talks more about possessions and money and talks about how God provides for us, right? And where our heart is, there our treasure is. You start to see that this is the way Jesus is calling us to live for a purpose, and the purpose is so that just the natural way that you react with pieces of paper and pieces of metal is completely different and noticeable from the world around you. Ultimately, I think what the story, what, what the, the indication of living a life that is rich toward God or rich A a life that is rich in relationship with God is this. If if, if this man in this particular story had done one thing, he would not be a fool. And it's this. whenever, Whenever God gives him extra, if he had just not built a taller barn but built a longer table, he wouldn't be a fool. When God gives you more in life, and God wants to give you more in life, God wants to give you abundance in life. When God gives you more, don't build a taller barn. Build a longer table. And what I mean by that is when we have a longer table, it gives more seats at the table. More people who can be fed. A larger community that we can invite people into. And I hope that you, through just fundamental, simple, everyday changes, would begin to build longer tables in your life. And not studying so hard, not working so hard so that you can build a bigger barn. Because everybody around you is building a bigger barn. But here, can I tell you a secret? You ready for the secret? Eventually, that barn's going to get full and you're just going to have to build a bigger one. Do you see why money is a terrible God? There's always more to be made. There's always more to accumulate. It's never enough. There's always somebody who has more money. There's always somebody who has a little bit more than you are that you want to keep pursuing and beat, right? Right? Your barn's always going to get full and you're always going to have to keep building bigger barns. Are you going to spend the rest of your life getting taller and taller and taller barns? Are you going to spend your life building longer and longer tables so that people's lives can be impacted and changed? Bringing people to the table. You know, ultimately, someday heaven is described as a feast. And we're all going to feast together with Jesus. And didn't he set the example for us where he built a table long enough for all of us to have a seat? Someday we'll get to enjoy that with him. So when you're given more, build a longer table, not a taller barn. You know, because of And I have to say, I, I love being a part of a church. Not just leading a church, but I love being a part of a church that values generosity. You know, when you, because you see value in the ministries of this church, you give sacrificially, you give faithful, and we're able to, to impact lives. The great thing about this church, folks, is that the lives that are impacted because of this church is not just the, 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 the people that are sitting in the chairs in this church. This summer, because of your faithfulness, we were able to take the resources that we would normally uh, have within our church and redistribute them through partnering with Impact HK and blessing the homeless population in the city. In the past, we've been able to, to take the resources that were collected in this room, and rather than build a taller barn, we, we would impact hundreds and hundreds of lives with our annual Christmas outreach love banquet. And on a more just regular impact, because of your faithfulness, we're able to offer free tutoring for children every single week inside of this room. The money that and the the tithes and the offerings that you give to support New Heights Church doesn't just go for an hour and a half on a Sunday. It goes towards making Hong Kong a better place to live for hundreds of thousands and millions of people. And we do that in just simple, tangible ways this week Because you gave to New Heights Church, we were able to tangibly bless and serve almost 200 faculty members of International Christian School by donating graham crackers, marshmallows, and chocolate for International S'mores Day. All right, I know that sounds completely silly, but you have no idea how many people were thankful and came up to me and said, You know what? Thank you so much. I really needed a s'mores today and maybe for some of you you don't know what a s'mores is, it's basically just America in a snack. It's completely over-sugared, super sweet, over-the-top, just way excessive calories, all right? It's a graham cracker, a roasted marshmallow, and melted chocolate in a sandwich, okay? It's absolutely the most unhealthy thing you could eat probably in your life, but I, I equated it this way. If you grew up in Hong Kong, spent your entire formative years in Hong Kong, and then moved overseas to go work at a school. And you're adjusting to a new culture. You're adjusting to a new job culture. You're adjusting to a new city. Everything is new to you. Everything's uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden, one day, somebody brings you a hot, big, warm bolo bao, right? A pineapple bun. Like, that's your childhood, isn't it? Isn't that tangibly bringing someone a little bit of comfort? That's what you did, folks. I mean, You increased people's waistlines, yes, because you gave them an absolutely unhealthy snack, but you were able to make life feel normal for people and just tangibly bless and love them. And I'm thankful that I get to be a part of a church that does that on a regular basis. So thank you, New Heights Church. When you give, it doesn't just affect a 75-minute worship service. It affects life for a greater audience out here. And that's building a longer table. So thank you. And the more you give, the longer our table can get. The more I give, the more sacrificial I give to this church, I know the longer my table can get. Right? And ultimately, I don't, want to be, I don't want God to call me a fool one day. As the pastor of this church, I'm more accountable for this church than anybody else. That's, just, that's the burden that, that, that I, I carry that God has called me to, to carry. And someday, God's going to ask me, what did you do with what I gave you? And I don't want to say, we had a really great 75 minutes, but we didn't really impact our city what's the point, right? I want to be able to say, you know what? I think we were really 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 good at building longer tables at New Heights Church. And I think you are. I think we're get, we're becoming a church that's building longer and longer tables and inviting more and more and more people to the meal. Right? And inviting people into that feast. So thank you. Thank you. When you give, it doesn't just feed the lights. It doesn't just feed the air conditioning and the Wi-Fi, right? It doesn't feed my salary. I don't even take a salary from this church. It feeds people in this city. And it tangibly blesses them. So when you're given more this week, and I've been praying for you this week, God would give you an abundant feast, an abundant harvest this week that you are the farmer in this story. This week, you'd have a great crop season. And that as you kind of pull in all of your harvest, you realize I don't have enough. uh, This is more than what my monthly budget had planned for. Your first reaction would not be, all right, let me go get a new iPad. The one I have has got a scratch on the back, right? But your natural reaction... As a result of encountering God today, would be okay, who can I bless with this today? Who can I bless with this today? I've been praying that's what our church would be known for radical, crazy, reckless generosity. That if we we're going to err in this church, we would err on the side of generosity. Right? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that thank you that you challenge us with your words and the way that you live to live lives that are in full manna style dependence on you. That you don't call us to be irresponsible and not work hard for everything that we need but you call us to work for as hard as we can for the benefit of others as well. And so God, I pray that you'd show us ways that we can build longer tables in our lives and in this church this week so there'd be no more seats available at the feast. That we would have the opportunity to invite people to a seat at the table this week. That we would take the good news with us in tangible easy ways, that we would bless people this week. I pray that, God, we would all have the opportunity, have the courage, and have the obedience to bless two people in tangible ways this week, however that is. That, God, you're, you're, you, would, you would extend the reach of this church as we extend our generosity into this city. And as we extend our generosity, we extend your kingdom. It's a kingdom of kindness and of generosity and of sacrifice and of unconditional love. So, God, help us this week to build longer tables and not taller barns. I pray that you'd bless all of us this week. I pray you'd bless every single person with radical generosity. That we would stop feeding the greed. And that we would stop starving generosity in our life. We would flip it. That God, we would begin to feed generosity in our life. And we would starve the greed that is naturally there. Help us next week. To come back and say, I'm a little bit more generous than I was last week. And then the next week we show up and say, my greed is just a little bit more starved. It's a little bit more starved. Every day we take steps towards who you want us to be. Every day we take one or two steps towards the people you desire for us to be. As we navigate hard, difficult things like money in our life, we return to you to be the one who guides us. Thank you.